I know better. Uh, we're ready to start. Uh, and usually I'm watching people trickle in, and I think there's going to be a little bit more of a stream come in as, as I'm talking this morning. Uh, but I'm glad to see you this morning, and for those on YouTube, it's uh, good that you're joining us as well. We're going to continue our study of the life and writings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, our topic this week is the arrest. Uh, so if you'll, you've been here the last few weeks, we've been going through a couple of Paul's letters, his what I call the big three, uh, so 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and last week we did Romans. Uh, now we're going to jump back into the, the narrative from the book of Acts. Uh, and so, if you remember, at, at the end of Romans, uh, Paul laid out his plans uh, for what was coming up next, at least what he intends. Uh, so he tells that the church in Rome that he's, he's gathering this collection from the churches in Turkey and Greece, and his plan is to deliver that money to Jerusalem. And actually, as, at the time of writing... Uh, he's in Corinth. It's going to be his last stop before going to Jerusalem with the money. Uh, once he gives that money to the, the church in Jerusalem, uh, his next uh, plan is to travel to Rome and from there onward to Spain. Uh, but you do get maybe a little hint of uh, some reason for concern uh, in this passage. If you read at the end of that outline of his plans, uh, he, he asked for prayers. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So there's this, this hint here that there is reason to be concerned about this trip to Jerusalem, that uh, there could be problems up ahead. And as we, we see, there are going to be problems for Paul in Jerusalem. I'm going to play a little game this morning. Uh, this is a game I call Good Choice, Bad Choice. Uh, we get to decide with the, the benefit of hindsight, uh, does Paul make a good choice? So we will have a few rounds of this. This is round one of Good Choice, Bad Choice. Uh, sometimes we, we read these about the, the people in the Bible, we kind of give them a little bit too much credit, I think, uh, that they are these heroes who always make good decisions. Uh, and in fact, there are humans, uh, and sometimes maybe they don't make the best decisions. Uh, and so let's uh, play some uh, second-guessing of Paul. Uh, good choice, bad choice, going to Jerusalem. Now, kind of... We'll go through some of the, the, the section in Acts here to kind of get some, some background information first before we make our decision if this is a good choice or a bad choice. So this starts all the way in Acts 19. He's still in Ephesus, uh, and this is when he, he first decides he is going to Jerusalem after he goes through Greece. Uh, so really early on, he's got this in mind. Uh, when he leaves Corinth, uh, it says he decides to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So not only has he made this decision, but he's also in a hurry to get there. I don't know if he's, uh, he wants to be there at Pentecost. You know, at Pentecost is going to be a big, uh, lots going on there, and he wants to be a part of that. Uh, could be that he's 
he's thinking if he's going on to Rome, uh, he needs to not waste too much time in Jerusalem. He needs to get uh, traveling before winter, uh, and so he needs to, to keep moving. This would be in the spring uh, after Passover uh, is Pentecost. Uh, so maybe that's the idea here, but even Ephesus, where he's spent a lot of time, he's not going to, to stop in Ephesus. He's going to sail by. Uh, and then he, he tells Christians a little further on, he says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So here we were starting to get a little bit of a, maybe a negative vibe about going to Jerusalem, is that the Holy Spirit is warning him about prison and hardships if he goes to Jerusalem. In the next chapter, uh, they're meeting with Christians on the way, and the disciples there, uh, through the Spirit, urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So I, I'm, this is you know, moving you up beyond some bad vibes. I think this is getting to be a, a pretty clear message here about something bad is going to happen in Jerusalem. Uh, and then the, the sort of the, the pinnacle of it, uh, this is in Caesarea. Uh, he's almost to Jerusalem. Uh, and a prophet named Agabus, you remember Agabus uh, had a prophecy a lot earlier in Acts about an f- upcoming famine, uh, which turned out to be right, so he's a, a guy to be trusted. And it says, he came over to us and took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay, this sounds pretty clear to me, is the prophet who has a track record of correctly predicting the future, has this little bit of this performance art. It's a prophetic tradition in the Old Testament as well of uh, doing sort of an object lesson with your prophecy to, re- to really let it sink in and hit home. Uh, so I imagine, you know, Paul is maybe uh, up in front of the, the church speaking. I, I like to think Agabus, like, you know, comes up to him and says, you know, give me your belt. And Paul kind of looks at him and you know, he takes off his belt and hands it to Agabus. Uh, I don't know, you tie your hands and feet with a single belt. I, I think it's kind of like the like the calves in the rodeo. You've got to be laying on the ground and get them all, all four together there to, to do that. Uh, so this would be quite a scene. Uh, and then he caps it off with this pronouncement that uh, the owner of this belt is going to be tied up like this in Jerusalem and handed over to the Gentiles. Uh, so a pretty clear prophecy of what's going to happen. Uh, so now we have a little bit of information. Uh, so Paul has been warned by the Holy Spirit about prison and hardship if he goes to Jerusalem. And then the Christians are telling him, don't go because the Spirit tells us you're going to to suffer if you go to Jerusalem. And then a prophet comes and ties himself up and says, you are going to be tied up like this if you go to Jerusalem. Uh, What do you think? Is this a, a good choice or a bad choice for Paul? Well, maybe one more passage. After Agabus's performance, uh, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, 
but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he wouldn't be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Well, this Lord's will be done actually reminds me of another time uh, where someone is going to Jerusalem to face uh, suffering uh, and persecution, uh, and the, the prayer is, not my will, but your will be done. And I, I think maybe there are some parallels here between what's happening to Paul and what happened to Jesus earlier on. I think it's, it's actually one of the things you notice uh, in the book of Luke, uh, so Luke is the same author as of the book of Acts, uh, one of his, the ways he structures the story uh, is he has Jesus moving toward Jerusalem really early on in the story. Uh, so none of the other uh, Gospels tell the story this way, but as early as Luke 9, we're only you know, a little over halfway into the, the book, uh, it says, uh, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, he set his eyes on Jerusalem, is I think the, the more literal translation here. Uh, and so then throughout the, the next half of the book, it's all about Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and we get the same kind of warnings as we do with Paul. So we'll kind of just run through this thread really quickly. Uh, Jesus goes through the towns and villages, and he's, he's making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and the Pharisees come up to him. This is, you know, Jesus is not on the best terms with the Pharisees, uh, but the Pharisees are telling him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So even the Pharisees are telling Jesus, I don't think you should go to Jerusalem. I think you're going to get killed if you go to Jerusalem. And Jesus responds to them after talking about Herod, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Uh, so a sense there that perhaps Jesus, Jesus is aware of what's going to happen uh, if he does continue. Uh, on his way to Jerusalem, you know, still, as Luke tells the story, it's all, it's all about Jesus going to Jerusalem over and over again. Uh, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. Okay, so we're getting a pretty clear message about Jesus going to Jerusalem, uh, but also this clear intent. So if you try to summarize uh, the narrative of Jesus going to Jerusalem. Uh, he is determined early on that he is going to go to Jerusalem uh, despite the warnings from other people, the Pharisees, uh, despite the warnings that he, he knows himself. And it's going to turn out that in Jerusalem, he's going to be seized by the Jewish leaders and they're going to hand him over to the Romans to be executed. Now, when Luke is telling the, the story of Paul, I think he's seeing how, the similarities here, and he's trying to highlight how Paul is following in the steps of Jesus uh, in his own uh, trip to Jerusalem. Uh, and so perhaps trying to, to, for us to also see, uh, you know, us readers, uh, how are we following in the steps of Jesus? Uh, so when, when Luke tells the story in Acts, Paul is likewise determined to go to Jerusalem despite warnings of the dangers from himself and others. In Jerusalem, we're going to find out he's going to be seized by the Jewish leaders, and the Jews are going to hand him over to the Romans. And at this point, Jesus was executed, but what happens to Paul? 
uh, the book of Acts just kind of ends with Paul uh, in uh, the control of the Romans. Uh, so I, we're going to get to this in a few weeks, is you know, what does happen at the end of Acts? Does Paul get killed or does he get released? I think if, if Paul was executed, I think Luke would have a hard time resisting finishing this parallel. Uh, and just like Jesus was, uh, went to Jerusalem, was arrested and killed, if that same exact thing happened to Paul, I think Luke would tell it that same way. And since he doesn't tell it, uh, my, my hunch is that I think Paul is released at the end of Acts. Uh, and so he, he tells the parallel as much as he can, uh, but then just kind of leaves it off. We'll get back to that in a few weeks when we get to the end of Acts. Uh, but I do want you to see that there is... A, a parallel that Luke is intentionally pointing out between how Jesus goes to Jerusalem uh, because that is his purpose and how Paul views his own purpose as going to Jerusalem, even if that means being killed. It does kind of make us have this question. You know, all these Christians are telling Paul, don't go. The Spirit is saying that there is going to be danger so don't go. And Paul is getting this message that he is compelled by the Spirit to go. Uh, so which one is it? Is it uh, the Spirit saying go or don't go? And we have this kind of same issue, uh, you know, assessing risk today. Um, you know, when, when we were in Southeast Asia, we, we had a, a question of do we stay? Uh, you know, what, what kind of risk are we willing to, to endure? Uh, and our, our friends in Ukraine are, have had that same question uh, to face. I think in this situation, at least, my, my reading of it is that the Holy Spirit is sending a message uh, that Paul is going to suffer if he goes to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit's not giving advice on what to do about that. Uh, so when the Christians hear that message, uh, they're telling Paul, well, don't go, you're going to suffer. Uh, the Holy Spirit's saying you're going to suffer, so don't go. So that's their interpretation uh, of what the Holy Spirit is telling them. But Paul seems to, to know better what God's purpose is for him. Uh, and he's willing to die. Uh, and so he says, well, this is what the Holy Spirit says, uh, but that's not a reason to, to avoid it. Uh, in fact, that's what's compelling me forward uh, to finish the task that God has set before me. Uh, and so that's maybe the question we still have today is, well, what is my purpose? Is my purpose to stay here and suffer, or is my purpose to get out of here? Uh, and at, at different times, Paul comes to different conclusions. Sometimes uh, he's in danger and he you know, gets out of the city uh, before something bad can happen. Uh, and here, uh, he knows there's danger and still moves forward. So it does... Uh, vary from time to time, and it does make it difficult to discern. I'm not going to give uh, some uh, black and white uh, answers on how do we evaluate risk. Uh, but here, Paul moves forward knowing the risk. Okay? Uh, so, like I said, he's in Corinth. Uh, so he's traveled from Ephesus to Corinth, collected all the, the funds from the churches in Greece, and now he's ready to, to make the return journey. Uh, so he goes up to, back through Macedonia to Philippi. At this point, 
Luke uh, fills us in. There, there's quite a few people traveling with Paul. Uh, so we have uh, Gaius and Timothy. Uh, they're from Galatia. Uh, Tychicus and Trophimus. Uh, Trophimus is going to come back into this story in a little bit. They're from Ephesus. Sopater from Berea. Aristarchus and Secunda from, uh, Secundus from Thessalonica. And then Luke from Philippi or Troas. So you've got this big you know, mass of people. Why, why has he got so many people traveling with him? Well, you have to think, these churches have been saving up money for a year, uh, and now they're sending this money to Jerusalem. Uh, it's, not, it's not writing a check or something like that. Uh, you, you have to send this in cash. Uh, and so it's potentially a, you know, a big amount of money. It's difficult to, to transport. You can't just have one guy dragging around these money bags. Um, it's also risky. You, you, you don't want to have one guy sitting on a ship uh, with these big piles of cash. Uh, that's just not safe. Uh, so you have this big group because uh, you need uh, lots of hands uh, to protect the money and to, to transport it. Uh, but notice also the diversity of where these people are from is they're from all these churches that are sending the money. Uh, so that if these churches are going to ask, well, did, did our money make it there okay? Uh, they have someone they trust who can say, yes, we delivered the money. You know, there was nothing uh, under the table here. You know, we, we watched it. We delivered it safely. Uh, so completely above board with all the churches. They all know what's going to happen with this money. I think that's the, the reason for having this big group of people going to Jerusalem. Now, Luke actually isn't mentioned here, uh, but uh, we notice in the, as the, the story is told in Acts, he switches from he and they uh, to now he starts talking about we, which is his subtle indication that now he has uh, joined the story. Uh, so whenever you see we in Acts, that tells you that Luke has, has joined with Paul on his travels. So it happened uh, back in Acts 16, uh, when Paul went from, from Troas to Philippi, uh, he picks up Luke in Troas and appears to, to drop him off in Philippi. Uh, so this is when Paul and Silas are going. They meet Lydia. Uh, they get thrown in jail and convert the Philippian jailer. Uh, somewhere in there, Luke disappears. He doesn't get thrown in jail with Paul and Silas. And then he disappears from the story. Paul continues traveling for a few years, uh, and now, at this point, this is on the third journey, he, when he goes back to Philippi, apparently Luke has been there this whole time, uh, working with the church perhaps, uh, and he uh, joins the party again, and he's going to travel with them to Jerusalem. Uh, coming up, there's going to be a third time as well, when, when Paul goes from Caesarea to Rome, uh, that's the third we section in the book of Acts. And so we can tell that Luke has joined Paul and he's traveling with him. Uh, we also notice at these points, uh, the travel itinerary becomes much more detailed, uh, where sometimes Luke is kind of you know, giving the, the broad strokes from what Paul has told him. Uh, but when he's there, he makes sure to list every little place they stop. Uh, so we have a, a nice detailed itinerary of, of what they've done on this, this last sea voyage. So it's, it's also... Apparently, Luke really likes traveling by ship because uh, these are all uh, sailing trips uh, that he's a part of. 
So, from Philippi, they go to Troas, uh, now with Luke and these you know, dozen other guys with them. Uh, we have a little story here in Troas uh, that on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. He apparently didn't get the message here that people were a little bored by his late-night sermon, uh, that somebody falls asleep and uh, falls out the window, but he's okay, and then he picks up where he left off. Uh, People took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, it's not clear to me that did Eutychus uh, die and Paul raise him from the dead? Uh, Some people, we want to have this list of all the resurrection uh, occurrences in the Bible. Is this a resurrection occurrence or not? It says they, they picked him up dead, uh, but it doesn't really say, you know, Paul, what Paul did. Uh, so it could have been that he, he died and Paul uh, performed a miracle here. Uh, could have been that they, they picked him up thinking he was dead, and Paul just goes down and, uh, nope, I, you know, he's alive. Uh, so I, I don't know what, which of the two it is. Um, Maybe it's a miracle that you fall from the third story and you're not hurt. Maybe that's the miracle, not that he was raised from the dead. Uh, but that's uh, a story that I think Luke couldn't resist including in here. So from Troas then, uh, go to Assos, Mytilene, uh, and down to Miletus. Uh, this is, we read earlier about how he, he said he was going to skip Ephesus. He uh, didn't have time to, to stop in Ephesus, so he just meets the Ephesian elders in Miletus, uh, gives them a farewell uh, and tells them he you know, probably won't see you guys again, uh, and so just makes a quick stop there. From Miletus onto Rhodes, Patara to Tyre, like I said, Luke is, is filling in all the stops here uh, because he's with Paul traveling, so he knows every little place where they've visited along the way. Uh, from Tyre down to Ptolemais, down to Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea is where we have Agabus uh, do his little uh, prophecy scene. Uh, also have an appearance of uh, Philip. Uh, Philip from earlier in Acts uh, has settled in Caesarea. And then on to Jerusalem, uh, where they stay at the house of a guy named Mnason, uh, which I don't know why that name hasn't caught on in English. Uh, Manason, M-N-A-S-O-N. So that's kind of fun to say, Manason. Anyway, uh, so now Paul has arrived in Jerusalem uh, ready to deliver this uh, collection to the Christians there. Uh, So we'll jump back into the book of Acts, uh, the narrative here in in chapter 21. It says, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. This is James, the brother of Jesus. 
Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Okay, so he, he tells them, you know, I've been working with the Gentiles. Things are going really well. Uh, God's doing a lot of great stuff, and they are excited to hear that. Uh, but, but they said to Paul, now, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They'll certainly hear that you have come. They say, you know, it's, it's great that you're doing this ministry among the Gentiles, but, you know, there's been some rumors about you among Jewish Christians, uh, and that you are telling Jews to live like Gentiles. Uh, now, even among us, we, we read Galatians, and we kind of get this same impression of Paul, that he's telling Jews, you know, you know don't, don't get circumcised, uh, don't follow the law of Moses. Uh, we kind of have that same reading of, of Paul. Uh, but these Christians say, well, we want to, to correct that rumor, uh, because we know that's not what you're telling them to do. Uh, so they have this, this plan for Paul. Do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Okay, so this has been one of my, my hobby horses for this class, is, is pointing out that Paul... Uh, as a Jew, continues to keep the law. Uh, and that when we, we sometimes have this impression that Paul is, is anti-law, uh, anti anti-Jewish, uh, anti-circumcision, uh, and the Christians say, well, we want you, want you to show that that's not true. Uh, and so I, I think uh, for us too, we maybe need to, to correct our impression of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so the next day, uh, Paul agrees, he took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Okay? So here's round two of our, our game, good choice, bad choice. Paul agrees to this plan. This is a plan presented to him by the Christian elders in Jerusalem to show that he is a... Jew in good standing uh, to, to make this vow and go to the temple, uh, should he do this? Now, we, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know, uh, or at least if you, if you keep reading, we're going to talk about it, uh, that when he goes to the temple, this is when he's going to be grabbed by the mob. Uh, this is going to lead to his arrest. Uh, and it's all because he agrees to this plan that the, these Christians have suggested to him. So should he have done it? Well, you know, we, we don't know what would have happened if he hadn't. Uh, it could have been this same scenario would have happened uh, no matter what. There, any opportunity uh, would have worked for them to, to stir up this mob. Uh, they just took the one uh, that was, was given to them. But it's, it's kind of ironic that his, his plan to show that he is keeping the law is what the Jews use against him uh, to show that he is breaking the law. Uh, so it does work out against him. I don't know how he could have done something else, actually. 
I mean, he, these are, are the Christian elders. Uh, does he tell them, no, I, I, I'm not going to do that? That just shows, uh, you know, there maybe is some reason that uh, he's afraid to, to, sh- to keep the law. Maybe he doesn't really do it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what alternative he had. Uh, but uh, we do see, in hindsight, uh, this is going to end up to be the, the move that, that gets him in trouble. So, the seven days of his vow were nearly over. Then some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. So this is probably the Ephesian Jews. He's had run-ins with them during his time in, in Ephesus. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place, the temple. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Now, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, uh, as a Gentile. They had seen him in the city with Paul, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So maybe these guys had shaved their heads, and, you know, people look different with their heads shaved. Uh, so they thought one of these guys was a Gentile, Trophimus, uh, when actually these are, this vow is, is just Paul and four other Jews. Uh, but that, that's their accusation, that he brought Gentiles into the temple which he did not do. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Well, that's good news for Paul. Commander came up and arrested him. Maybe not much better. They ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander couldn't get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Now, this is actually an actual event. Uh, The commander uh, is remembering here. Uh, We know about this from the historian Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote about uh, first century Palestine, Uh, and he wrote a book called The War of the Jews, Uh, and he tells about this Egyptian, uh, Egyptian Jew, so uh, is what I think it is. Uh, There was an Egyptian false prophet that did the Jews even more mischief. He was a cheat and pretended to be a prophet. He got together 30,000 men. Now, the commander said 4,000. I don't know if 30,000 is a whole lot here, Josephus. Uh, 30,000 men that were deluded by him. He led them from the wilderness to the Mount of Olives. Remember, just outside the city of Jerusalem. He was ready to break into Jerusalem by force from that place. He planned to conquer the Roman garrison and rule over the city. But the governor, Felix, prevented his attempt. We're going to see Felix in a moment here. He sent his Roman soldiers, and the Egyptian ran away with a few others. Most of those that were with him were either destroyed or taken alive. 
but the rest of the multitude were dispersed and hid. So there is this Egyptian who had this idea to revolt against Rome, uh, gets a bunch of men on the, the Mount of Olives. They're going to storm the city of Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans. Uh, it does not work. Uh, they get beaten and dispersed. Uh, so needlessly, Paul is not the Egyptian who he must have, uh, the Egyptian must have been one of the ones that snuck away because uh, then the commanders are, are you that guy? Paul says, no, I, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Now, at this point, he's going to go back through the story of how he becomes a Christian. We've already had this once in the book of Acts. We're going to have it one more time later as well. Uh, So we won't go into it as much detail here. But just to point out a couple things, that when you're speaking to a crowd of uh, zealous Jews who are ready to, to kill you, uh, you maybe emphasize some certain parts of the story. And so some things show up in this telling uh, that you can tell he's, he's pointing out to this specific crowd. First of all, uh, he emphasizes his credentials and his zeal. He, this is where he talks about, you know, I was, I'm, a, I'm a Pharisee, uh, trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, so I'm, I've got uh, credentials as an uh, impressive uh, lawkeeper. Uh, you know, you guys clearly very zealous here uh, with your screaming uh, and your mob. Uh, lots of zeal out here. Let me tell you, I am a zealous guy myself, uh, and I had a lot of zeal uh, persecuting the church. Uh, so he, he points that out as well. Uh, when he tells about uh, this Christian Ananias who, who prays for his sight to be restored, uh, here he mentions, you know, Ananias, he was a devout Jew and, you know, very respected uh, among the Jews. Uh, so there are little, little uh, tidbits here to uh, help uh, win the crowd over. And this is the time uh, he also tells this, this story uh, about going to the temple after he's a Christian. Uh, so, you know, reminding them, no, no, I, I continued to go to the temple. Uh, and this is, I think, one of my stories I think is really interesting, uh, where he's in the temple and falls into a trance and hears Jesus speaking to him. Uh, and he tells Jesus, I don't think they're going to listen to me here in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, Jesus says to him, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. And apparently, when they hear this part about the Gentiles, it, it reminds the crowd, oh, yeah, that's, that's what we were upset about, uh, Paul and the Gentiles again. And so when Paul mentions Gentiles, the, the crowd lifts their voices again. They shout, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And so that's the end of the, Paul's speech uh, is when he gets to that part of the story. Uh, well, as the crowd gets worked up again, we'll move through the, the next part of 21 and 22 here more quickly. Uh, the Roman commander pulls him back out. Uh, his thought is, well, I'm just going to flog him. Give him a good beating, uh, and we'll, we'll figure out what he's done that way. Uh, you can tell this is not uh, the justice system as we know it. And, and Paul asks him a question before he gets beaten. Is it legal for you to, to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty? Uh, Paul knows the answer to this question is no, uh, that there are protections for Roman citizens. You can't just go around and beat 
uh, Roman citizens. Yeah, the other guys, sure. You, these random uh, Jewish uh, people, you know, you, you got a problem with them. The soldiers can just come in and beat them. Uh, but if they happen to be a Roman citizen, uh, you actually have to have a trial. Uh, you can't just go around beating people who are Roman citizens. Uh, so Paul knows the answer is, no, it's not legal. Uh, this is where the commander has some surprise and says, you're a Roman citizen? Uh, you know, how, how did you become a Roman citizen? You know, I, was, I was born a Roman citizen. The commander's even more surprised. I, I had to, to pay uh, to become a citizen. Uh, so he's, he's really doesn't know what to do at this point, but he, he said, well, this is some sort of Jewish problem. This is not a Roman law. Uh, and who decides Jewish problems is the Sanhedrin. Uh, so uh, the commander takes Paul next to the, the leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Uh, here, uh, Paul gets slapped or hit in the face right off the bat, uh, leads him to, to criticize the chief priests, uh, and then he does apologize. He said, I didn't realize uh, who it was, uh, and you're not supposed to, to speak uh, badly of your leaders. Uh, but apparently at this point, Paul realizes uh, when the first thing you say gets you a punch in the face, uh, this is not going to be a, a great place to get a fair hearing. Uh, and he decides to go with a, a different route. Uh, he sees the Sanhedrin as a mix of Sadducees and Pharisees. Uh, he himself is a Pharisee. Uh, he still considers himself to be a Pharisee, it seems. Uh, and we, we learn uh, from, once again, our, our favorite Jewish historian, Josephus, a little bit about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, you know, we get this, this idea that the Pharisees are really the, the conservative, legalistic Jews uh, by the way they uh, fight with Jesus throughout the Gospels. Uh, but it's actually the Sadducees who are the, the hardline conservatives of the Jewish of Judaism. And the Pharisees are, are much more liberal, progressive uh, than the Sadducees. Because the Sadducees, they, they read their Bible, the Old Testament, and they say, well, if it's not in the Old Testament, especially if it's not in the books of Moses, we're not really sure if you can believe it. Uh, and the Pharisees are, are more willing to, to consider other things, uh, and especially things from the, the, the third section, which is of the, of the Old Testament, just called the writings. So it's the law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, and uh, the Sadducees focus on the law. The Pharisees are willing to read all of the Old Testament. And if you read places like Daniel, which in the, in the Jewish Bible is part of the writings, uh, you do see these, this mention of resurrection. Uh, that idea comes up. Uh, but you don't see that a whole lot in... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees are willing to believe in resurrection. And Luke tells us also uh, that the, the Pharisees uh, believe in angels and spirits, and the Sadducees don't. But now, angels and spirits are in the law. I think this is maybe a, a different uh, meaning of it than, than that. This is more like, like a ghost, I think. Uh, some sort of uh, form of a, of a person who, after they die, so it's connected to resurrection. Uh, this is maybe the, the sense you get uh, when Peter is released from prison and goes knocking on the door, 
And they say, oh, no, it's not Peter, it's his angel. Uh, so it's some sort of uh, after-death appearance of someone. So if you don't believe in resurrection, you don't believe in, in that sort of thing either. Uh, and so Paul, knowing the belief of these two groups, says, I'm a Pharisee, and I'm here because I believe in the resurrection. And that gets half the group on his side, and they are then attacking the Sadducees for him. Uh, he doesn't even have to, to say anything else. Uh, they start just fighting amongst themselves. Uh, they even start you know, putting in these digs, well, you know, maybe, maybe some sort of ghost is the one who told Paul this. They're just trying to make further digs at the Sadducees. And it gets so violent in the, the courtroom that the commander once again has to, to pull Paul out. Uh, so round three, good choice, bad choice game. Uh, Paul makes the decision to, to sow chaos in the Sanhedrin. Doesn't, doesn't try to actually give a defense of what he's done. Uh, all he does is you know, throw the bomb in the room and just lets, him, uh, lets chaos result from it. Uh, this is what I, it seems like a pretty good choice to me. It doesn't seem like he was going to get a very fair hearing uh, from the way things start. Uh, these guys are out to get Paul from the beginning, uh, and this gets him out of that and back into the hands of the Romans, who he believes will give him uh, a fair hearing. He's not breaking any Roman laws. Uh, so it seems to me like, like a good choice, uh, but we'll see. One, one last story uh, for today is the plot to kill Paul. Uh, that we have these guys who, who make a vow. They, we are not going to eat until Paul is dead, uh, and, until we kill him. So they have this plan. We say, well, let's tell the Romans to bring Paul back to the Sanhedrin tomorrow. And on the way, we're going to kill him. We're going to jump out and kill him before he gets there. Well, somehow, Paul has a nephew who hears about this plan. There's only mention of Paul's family uh, in the Bible. This is his sister's uh, son. And he somehow hears about this plan. Uh, and he goes to Paul and tells him what what he's heard, uh, then Paul said, well, go tell the commander that. Uh, and so the, the boy does. And so finally the, the commander says, this is the last straw. Uh, he decides he's going to transfer Paul to the, the sort of the administrative capital, Caesarea. Sends him with 400 soldiers. So this, uh, these guys who are going to ambush him don't really stand much of a chance against 400 Roman soldiers. Uh, and I imagine they got pretty hungry uh, because uh, they were not able to kill Paul. So anyway, Paul uh, goes on the route to, to Caesarea halfway. They decide, we don't really need 400 soldiers. Let's send half of them back. Uh, and so he is then delivered to Caesarea. That's going to be where we're going to have to leave off today. Uh, next week, we're going to hear Paul's defense to the governor, Governor Felix, uh, and then uh, he waits around a while until there's a whole new governor, uh, and he's going to give a defense to the new governor, Festus, along with King Herod Agrippa. And then uh, Paul wins a trip uh, to visit Rome. That's, that's what he wanted all along, was to go to Rome. And he finally gets his wish. And even, uh, even better, uh, Rome is going to be the one who uh, 
sends him there. Uh, so that's going to work out pretty well, it sounds like. Uh, we'll get into that next week. Uh, let's close with this prayer uh, from the book of Romans, chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for your attention this morning. I hope to see you next week as we, we continue with the life of Paul.